Welcome to the latest episode of The Voice of Oregon Workers, a podcast by the Oregon AFL-CIO. By theft and deception, the rich and the powerful, their minions have stolen the United States Supreme Court and in advancing a pro-wealth, anti-worker agenda that has resulted in the Janus decision today. Those forces believe that this will be the end of the American Union movement. They're wrong. They do not understand our power comes from workers. Our power comes from members. More and more, Americans are looking to the union movement as a vehicle for change. Over 60% of Americans support unions. That's the highest rating in two decades. Last year, for the first time in this century, union membership actually grew by 262,000. The Me Too movement, fighting to make sure that our workplaces are safe for everyone, workers on strike across America, vast marches and protests, and the increased numbers of workers joining unions are not only components of a backlash, but are a symptom of America's efforts to readjust our course back to an America that works for all and not just a privileged few. No court decision can ever take away our power. In Oregon, we are leading the way with innovative campaigns and strategies to give more working people than ever a voice in their wages, benefits, and working conditions. This month's episode is about Oregon AFSCME and the Solidarity Alliance of Social Services, who, who are on the cutting edge of union organizing campaigns and are building power in the behavioral health and social services industry in Oregon. Thanks for listening, and please share this podcast with your family and friends. My name is Graham Trainer, and I'm proud to serve as the Chief of Staff for the Oregon AFL-CIO and to bring you the latest episode of our podcast. This month on The Voice of Oregon's Workers, we are going to the front lines of worker organizing in Oregon with the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, AFSCME Council 75, a union that represents over 25,000 workers in Oregon. Oregon AFSCME is a great example of what we mean when we talk about being union strong. From internal preparations for the anti-union U.S. Supreme Court Janus decision to cutting-edge external organizing campaigns, Oregon AFSCME is leading the charge to redefine what unions are about in the 21st century. A central part of these organizing efforts is in the behavioral health and social service arena. This sector is a critical part of the fabric of our communities, providing essential social services to the most vulnerable among us. Unfortunately, it's also a sector that has largely been contracted out or privatized, which has dramatically driven down wages, benefits, and working conditions. Council 75, alongside frontline workers, has formed the Solidarity Alliance of Social Services to give workers in behavioral health a voice in their working conditions. Therapists, case managers, peer support staff, and allies, all motivated by a shared mission to help clients, are involved in Council 75's Solidarity Alliance of Social Services, and two of their campaigns have recently received national attention. Earlier this month, workers ratified a contract at Volunteers of America, Oregon, following a challenging campaign against an entrenched employer, and weeks prior to that, workers at Outside In voted to stand together as members of AFSCME. These two organizations provide a range of social services in the Portland area. And joining us today, we're really excited to have Andrea Lemoyne, an organizer with Council 75, and Anna Diodati Dubole, a behavioral health care worker in a mental health crisis. Thanks for joining us, Andrea and Anna. Great, great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course, and we're really excited about uh, the two these two campaign, campaigns I've, I just mentioned, and obviously 
Uh, we're excited to hear from you all firsthand about those campaigns and what it means for the broader work to improve standards in this industry. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess before we start, it'd be helpful to know uh, how the two of you became in the labor movement and the kind of the struggle for workers' rights. Okay. Want to go first, Dan? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think what drove me to this campaign and to this work is um, I work in an emergency department um, as a social worker and also on a mental health crisis team. Um, and so a lot of the people I come in contact with are um, people with mental illness who are at a crisis state. And so I interview them, have conversations with them, and have heard a lot of the stories about um, their lack of access to care and um, a lot of the, the, the conditions, the working conditions for the clinicians directly impact their wellness. And so um, that I was kind of looking for opportunities to kind of get involved in making changes, found SAS, and got involved with, with that. Um, because I want to make changes for working conditions both for um, my colleagues and also for the people that are receiving services and kind of seeing um, how dysfunctional the systems can be. I wanted to you know, be part of making that change and I think organizing um, workers is going to be a big part of that. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. So I got into this work, I actually was a restaurant worker for about 10 years. I used to live in Philadelphia. And restaurant workers receive very low pay. Um, there's very high turnover, almost no benefits. And um, while working and being frustrated with working conditions, I heard about the Restaurant Opportunity Center. Um, and I started um, volunteering for them and working with them. And that's actually how I got into the labor movement. So they work with and organize restaurant workers. And it was great to actually become more involved with them and actually learn about unions and learn about how me and my coworkers actually could build a voice and make changes in the workplace. So that's how I got involved. It's exciting, and Rock does a lot of great work around the country yes, for an do. important uh, group of workers. Mm -hmm. so, um, the, so the campaign for a fair contract, uh, cutting to uh, the VOA experience, um, you know, this is, uh, so the fair contract, um, you know, the, the fight for a fair contract at VOA Oregon um, is an inspiration, particularly because of the solidarity shown from workers um, and from the community amidst, uh, amidst an uh, outright hostile response from the employer. So um, I'd be curious if uh, one or both of you could share a little bit about uh, what prompted the workers at VOA and their interest in wanting a union initially and sort of mm -hmm. what got started uh, or what, how, that, how that organizing work got started? Yeah, so the organizing work got started was Volunteers of America, Oregon, um, workers in the men, men's and women's um, like residential facilities. They reached out to Oregon and asked me because they were very much struggling with um, really high, like a lot, like a high workload, um, very low wages. Um, very low benefits or benefits that were extremely expensive to get for extended family. Um, and they realized that they were actually um, very much in similar circumstances as many of the clients that they served, that people were receiving such low pay and they were also struggling with housing. Um, also, many of the workers actually came out of the programs um, for Volunteers of America, so they were shocked um, coming out of the programs that actually going back and working because they believed in the programs so much. They believe in healing for clients so much and then come to find out that the pay was really low. It was very difficult to work there. It is difficult to stay in recovery under those circumstances. And so they were very adamant that they wanted a union. They had done a lot of internal organizing themselves. This was an amazing group of workers, just so smart and so on it. And they came to us and our organizing team helped them out, helped them organize their union. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I've, I've learned, uh, you know, working the labor movement for some time is just especially workers and union members in healthcare settings, 
um, are so passionate about their patients and the people mm-hmm. they care for and uh, to have that as a driving force but then also to have a group of workers that stand up and fight for fairness for themselves as well is a really mm-hmm. powerful statement I think so yeah. thanks for sharing that mm-hmm. so how did the how did the employer react to the workers organizing and winning their election oh you want to talk a little bit about that because you've been to a few rallies too Anna um, <laughs> I mean I think what we saw with VOA was consistent resistance um, and then mm-hmm. trying to I think and this has happened with some of the agencies I work with too is trying to then reframe it that we're just a, it's a it's a special culture we're trying to create an environment you're trying to ruin that and trying to like undermine um, the, what the workers are doing and make it that well you're not working in the best interest of clients but workers taken care of and feeling this work is sustainable ultimately benefits clients as well it's it the it improves the system so I think that yeah that's yeah no I agree I think um, I can say I think quite a few of us were shocked. Yeah. That um, nonprofits who very much espouse that they're very social justice oriented would fight so hard mm-hmm. against workers who were trying to organize again for like literally like bettering client care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were very shocked by that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I mean, this is a healthcare setting uh, and uh, social services related, but uh, it's also, as we all know, pretty common in lots of different nonprofit cultures mm-hmm. around. Uh, sort of this this expectation that you should both have a lot of passion and care for the work and uh, you know and, and give a lot to the mission of the organization and at the same time not expect a lot in return and sort of they use those heartstrings yeah. of the of the worker uh, of the workers and those those um, those nonprofits that I've also worked in and around um, to to really you know take advantage of the workers that are doing the work of these mission driven organizations so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what worked on this campaign? And you know, I'd be curious to know just y'all's perspective about what finally broke through um, to allow for a first con- uh, a first fair contract. Yeah, I think what actually really worked well in this campaign was really going public and having actions. Um, there's a saying in organizing, "Actions get the goods," and um, that's definitely true of VOA. Um, you know, really seeing that or showing the community that workers are really fighting. For their clients they're fighting to address folks who are going through mental health care crisis who have a lot of needs and that they're looking to be workers are looking to be like respected and treated with dignity um, and having the community come out we had quite a few rallies um, in front of their administration building and finally what we did we actually had a sit-in in their administration building which me and Graham were together and that and that sit-in in the back of the cop car, the back of the cop car. <laughs> yes but that's really what broke through um, we got quite a bit of coverage with that sit-in um, Really, just like the sit-in was peaceful, went inside the lobby, and we just wanted to talk to the administration, to talk to the president, CEO, Kay Turan, and be like, meet us at the table. Um, she had never gone to one bargaining agreement to actually talk to her workers, and we're like, we, unfortunately, this is where we're at, in order to actually talk to you to see like where we can actually come to some agreement with workers. So that's, that's what really worked with this campaign. And related to that, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about um, garnering community support because uh, as as I was well aware of as I think many in the community were well aware of especially given the location of the headquarters building of VOA being right at 39th and Stark uh-huh. just uh, at a very busy intersection um, that uh, there was a lot of community support for the campaign and you just referenced a lot of it but how did that come about like how did you get the community and different partners 
beyond just the workers and the maybe the usual suspects of folks in the workers' rights movement. Um, how did you how did you rally those types of folks? What what really drove the community support behind the campaign? Yeah, I actually have to think a lot of the work that SAS had done. Um, SAS has had quite a few like um, well about three or four forums where we had actually invited um, community stakeholders to and like really tried to build relationships with folks who are advocates for people, for clients, and for folks working in mental health care. So I think really building that, um, really building like some solidarity and community support was just like, and going out and building those relationships was really important. Um, and SAS members um, did a great job. For instance, Anna came out to a couple of rallies and we had workers from other locations that came out and word of mouth. Um, we have a pretty strong social media um, presence too. So for folks interested, please follow us on Facebook SAS backslash PDX. <laughs> we have all the information about SAS and all the actions there too, but it was really like intentionally building relationships that really helped get folks out. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like, I mean, I think you referenced this as well or alluded to it, but uh, but workers in the industry that maybe aren't even already connected to SAS or the work that had gone into SAS were paying attention, right? I mean, it seemed like that was, and we'll get to the next campaign here in just a sec, but I don't know if there's anything more to say about that, but it just feels like there's, you know, it created a buzz in the Yeah, end. and I think that the, the, the working conditions that um, people from VOA experience kind of generalize a lot of times across the industry. And so, um, you know, kind of seeing the, the movement and, and what is possible when there's, um, you know, organizing efforts um, and collective bargaining, it, I think it has really um, kind of changed the framework for a lot of people working in other agencies and of thinking of kind of realizing what is possible, um, you know, and so I think that, that they were kind of in the, at the forefront of that. And so kind of seeing what the work they're doing, there's a lot of want to support this agency, um, you know, because we want to see what can happen in the other agencies as well, you know, kind yeah. of making bigger changes across the board. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. And especially at this time, uh, you know, I, I say this a lot to folks that are around me much, but, uh, you know, the things that I'm really inspired by in these really challenging times in the labor movement's history, especially facing Supreme Court threats and all kinds of other attacks coming at workers and the effort to divide, um, you know, when teachers are walking off the job in different parts of the country and more conservative anti-union states and actually winning for not just themselves, but other public workers and their students when... Uh, workers like uh, you know the workers here that we're talking about at VOA and outside in stand up uh, despite these challenges they face. It's really really inspiring, critical at this moment I think for uh, for the labor movement and uh, for sort of setting the right course in a post uh, Janus or whatever threat is coming at the labor movement era. So um, just out of curiosity, what is next for the workers at VOA? So uh, they've just gotten the first contract, but what's next for uh, what's next for the workers there? Yeah, so actually, just started to clarify the day before, but um, they actually just TA'd on their contract, oh, and they're cool. in the process of ratifying your Got contract. It. So just, yeah. Sorry. Thanks for the clarification. No, no yeah. problem. I just want to say that. Yeah. Um, so really, next steps is, um, again, building that internal organizing. Um, it was a really tough fight. The workers were amazing. However, management just really, really, really dug in. <laughs> dug in real deep. And I think right now, it's just really like a lot of self-care, a lot of internal organizing, and really making sure that they have a strong union um, once they decide to ratify their contract. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really strong infrastructure that they are here for the long haul and that they keep their union strong and building. Um, so yeah, I think that's like the next steps really for the workers at Volunteers of America. And quite a few folks, um, now that their you know, um, contract is TA'd, 
Um, quite a few of the folks actually came out of SAS. There were a few leaders at um, Volunteers of America who were still involved in SAS, and they're looking to like, now this is over to go back to the next stage, go back to SAS and help support other workers organizing. So That's great. again, it's an amazing group. I can't tell you how much I have been inspired by the group of workers at VOA. Great, okay, well thank you for that. Um, but uh, I did wanna, uh, we, we talked earlier about some of the other campaigns that are happening, one in particular at Outside In, and uh, what was exciting to learn about actually in the midst of this VOA struggle was uh, was actually, while that was all happening and there was a big fight uh, at, uh, for a fair contract at VOA, workers at Outside In, just across town uh, from the VOA headquarters, they actually voted to form their union. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a, a group of 120, 130, mm -hmm. I think, yeah. or so. Mm -hmm. But Outside In, um, from what I gather, uh, helps homeless youth and other marginalized people move uh, towards improved health and self-sufficiency. Um, and maybe this is somewhat connected to what we talked about earlier around the buzz that, it, that the VOA campaign uh, that led to around the, the broader industry or the, the sector. Uh, of, of social services and uh, the important mental health work that the, this group of workers does. But um, I'd just be curious from your perspective, what, what really prompted the outside-in workers to, to organize their union during yeah. that campaign? So um, unfortunately, it's fairly common for these things to happen in the workplace of behavioral health, but um, two outside-in workers were actually uh, attacked by a client um, who, was, who was experiencing a mental health care crisis. And administration literally had no procedure to help those workers. Um, and that was just the, the I don't know how to explain, like the emotional grief and explosion, tipping point, thank you, yeah. tipping point, that um, sent the workers to the other edge and was like, we need support in our work. Um, workers in behavioral health do vital services to people who are yeah, very vulnerable, very much in crisis. And to not have, to think about the work that they do for our community, and then to not have management or their supervisors give them any support in the work that they do was just too much. And we completely agreed with those workers. It was like, you need a voice in your workplace. You need to feel safe in your workplace. You need to be respected and have a sense of dignity in your workplace. And so that is what inspired them to organize. And again, another amazing group of workers. They are so passionate about their work. They are so invested in their community. And again, um, a few folks came through the programs at Outside In, and they are just so emotionally invested in this work. And to see them not being supported by management in any way was a shame. So yeah, it was great to support them in their organizing. And I know, uh, as, as, as many know that are in and around the labor movement, uh, voting in a union is one step to a long process mm -hmm. to actually having a strong contract that sets a better playing field for the workers at a specific work site. Um, but, uh, but I mean, the vote was pretty overwhelming, wasn't it? Oh, it was overwhelming. Um, don't quote me on this, but it was really close. I want to say it was like 120 yes to maybe like 19 no. I mean, it was an overwhelming yeah. vote for their union. And, um, and also the turnout. I mean, it was a huge turnout for the vote. Um, it was very well organized. My coworker, Doug Lance, organized that group and had the vote. And it was a really powerful statement of solidarity that the workers really showed up. Like, they, everyone showed up, and that's really what it is. It's about showing up for each other, and mm -hmm. there's not a doubt in my mind they're going to have an extremely strong union because they're so active and they show up for each other. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So thanks for that. Um, but tell, tell us, um, you know, likening it to the VOA uh, process at least, um, I'd be curious, you know, VOA uh, tentatively agreed to a contract just recently. Um, and outside in is at an earlier step. They just voted uh, mm -hmm. through an NLRB election. 
So um, what's next for that campaign and, and what do we expect uh, as uh, those workers work to actually get a good contract for the first contract? Yeah, well, what we're hoping is to, um, we always hope to you know, support workers in working with management and to actually come to the table and work together and keep um, clients' needs like in the forefront. So everyone can work together to make sure clients' needs are met. Um, and again, too, I, we really hope that we can get community support for the workers at Outside In as well, because they do such vital services. And so next steps really is you know them voting on a bargaining team, us getting community support, and then start bargaining their first contract. And um, we really, VOA is not the model. No, nobody wants what happened at VOA. They were in a really nasty bargaining for almost a year and a half. I mean, that was, nobody wants that. Um, and nobody wants to do that again. So we're really hoping to work with management um, and have them meet us at the table with the workers and really have the workers' voices be heard over at Outside In. So out of curiosity for that campaign in particular and the next steps, uh, and how maybe a listener would get involved. Is there anything that listeners today or in the near future might be able to do to help support those workers in their fight for first contract, given that you just yeah. mentioned the community support? Yeah, I would definitely say, um, again, follow us on Facebook at Oregon Ask Me. Um, and we always have events and rallies and ways that people can support. For instance, at Volunteers of America, we had um, people like, you know, call in to Kay and ask her to meet the workers at the table. Um, we had rallies. We had ways that community could support and, like, you know, send emails, letters, mm -hmm. things like that to really show up. And we're hoping to have the same kind of things, um, you know, once talking to the workers and seeing what the workers want for the process. Of course, it's like a worker-led thing. But actually talking to them and see what they want, we will definitely keep people in the know of what the workers want and what they need when Great. we get there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, uh, Volunteers of America and Outside In are both high-profile examples of the uh, really important work being done through the Solidarity Alliance of Social Services, or SAS. Uh, but many people m may not fully understand the broader goals of this campaign. So I'd love to hear a little bit more. Uh, I know we talked about it just to, uh, kind of on the front end, but I'd love to hear maybe in summary a little bit more about the goals of SAS. Uh, and uh, and help our listeners understand, uh, you know, what prompted beyond some of the things you've already shared. What's uh, the social services workers um, and their efforts to begin organizing? So, Anna. Yeah, um, I think there's also just for kind of follow up the, the United We Heal campaign. There's a white paper like online that people can kind of look at the more um, detailed statistics around um, some of the issues. Um, but a lot of it is extremely high cut, unsustainable caseloads. Um, that just create an environment where um, people aren't getting the care that they need, um, but also clinicians are having unrealistic expectations um, around the amount of work they're doing. Um, unfair wages, especially for, you know, a lot of us have master's degrees, licenses. We're pretty highly skilled um, workers to be making not that much more than minimum wage or, you know, pretty unsustainable um, salaries, especially comparatively to other people in, in this, in, in other similar like nurses and healthcare industries, um, you know, wanting to make those changes, um, both for ourselves and also for the people that we work with, um, you know, and just creating, also there's been a lot of, a lot of money into these agencies, a lot of, um, you know, especially like with the expansion of Medicaid, um, and that's not being, implemented from what we can see there's not a lot of transparency that's part of the other one of the issues too is just the lack of transparencies um, from the leadership and the actual clinicians doing the direct work um, so kind of wanting to address that piece um, so these are just some of the kind of issues that have prompted wanting to make the changes um, 
you know, ultimately better, cre- creating better working conditions, um, but also better client care. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, kind of summarizes our, our goal. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, I mean, that's something that you just hear as a total refrain from anyone in the healthcare industry yeah. uh, who's really passionate about the work and, uh, and sometimes um, even more passionate, oftentimes even more passionate about the care that they provide patients, yeah, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, than it is uh, their concern about their own conditions or yeah. their own work. work and I, I think, too, is just kind of the, some of the disconnect, some of the expectations in the community, too, of, of, you know, we've created like a new mental health hospital. Um, but haven't really created the infrastructure to help people be successful in the community um, with outpatient care. Um, and, you know, and then just my personal experience of kind of hearing the stories of people who actually are in mental health crisis and have tried to access care um, and just aren't able to kind of connect on a long-term basis for sustainable mental health. Mm-hmm. So just out of curiosity, I'm, 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 I'm struck by the sort of the the what seems like a symptom of just a long-term strategy of privatizing and contracting mm-hmm. out the work that was previously done by public sector agencies. And I'm curious if there's anything to say about that and just sort of the state of play today. Obviously, we're, we want to improve the lives of working people no matter where they're at and where they start from, but it does seem like a more macro-level challenge that I think this industry in particular, it seems, uh, faces as it relates to sort of trends around contracting out and privatization. Uh, that's about you know always cast in the light of government efficiency uh, but sometimes obviously isn't always that efficient or the best approach so I don't know if any if you got anything to say about that yeah I just it definitely seems like they a lot of the kind of community nonprofits will sort of subcontract um, their programs through the county and then again that I think a big issue with that is is just lack of of transparency of where's the money actually going is it actually going towards um, clinician workers and clients or other options you know we don't really know um and you know I think like yeah I think that's that's part of that that um challenge um is that yeah sorry no you're right I mean I think a big part of it too like um VOA um, you know, it's very common when you have bargaining to actually ask for an organization's budget. Um, VOA refused to give us their budget for about a year and a half. We actually had to file an unfair labor practice, which came out in our favor right before they agreed to meet us at the table and do a TA. And so, like what analysts say, there's no transparency, even though these are like public, largely publicly funded, grant funded, um, independent donor funded organizations. Um, we don't see where the money's, well, we kind of do see where the money's going. I mean, you can look it up in our white papers, or our white paper, I keep feeling like I'm saying a lot of websites, but our white paper is on unitedwehealthoregon.com, and it has information that Anna was referencing from um, research from talking to almost a thousand behavioral healthcare workers. And, you know, our research showed that um, in the past, I want to say like five years, um, that CEOs have received on average about a 25% raise, where workers might have seen a quarter raise. In the past five years wow. and so we're just like well how is that really um, affecting clients and how is that affecting our community members when we're not taking care of the people who are taking care of the people that need to be taken care of <laughs> so these are let me get this straight so these yeah. are nonprofit organizations that receive public money to do the work that previously was mm-hmm. done by that agency and there's no way for the public necessarily to very easily at least find out about how the money's spent where it's going the budgets of these organizations? No, nothing recently. If You can find things online, but it's generally two to three years ago. Wow. So nothing recent. It is, it is very difficult to figure out where the money goes. And I mean, that's really what 
is really very telling, I think, about the industry mm -hmm. is when you don't know where the money goes. It's like how can you really assess how much funding is going directly to clients? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. yep. Seems like we need some more transparency in the way that these organizations are run. <laughs> It seems like there might be a ballot measure that's headed towards the ballot about corporate transparency as well, but uh, yes. for another day. Um, well, uh, I just wanted to uh, very much so thank Anna and Andrea for uh, for joining us. Uh, I don't know if you've got anything final to say about the campaign or direct listeners to support the efforts. Just feel free to join us um, at the Solidarity Alliance of Social Services on Facebook. Um, we welcome anybody involved in the behavioral health field in any capacity allies we'd love to have you involved um and then the united we heal um campaign um and the white paper has more information just to follow up on kind of the issues that we've talked about and that we want to work for um making some changes in the industry yeah very good great well uh thank you both again and you have been listening to the voice of oregon's workers the oregon afl-cio's new podcast and if you've liked what you've heard, please share it with a friend and we will catch you next month.